Hello, and welcome to the Sunday Sermon Cast from Bethel Evangelical Free Church on Washington Island, Wisconsin. I'm Rick Smith, and I've been here at Bethel since 2016, enjoying this great church on this spectacular place off the northern tip of Door County, Wisconsin. This message comes from our Sunday morning service here on the island, and it's geared towards discovering what the Bible has to say to us in our everyday lives. So, God's blessing on you, and thanks for joining with us wherever you are today. Well, we have been talking about Jesus, and someone said, what are you preaching on today? Well, Jesus. Uh, We've been looking through Mark's gospel and working our way through. We're into chapter 12 now, in the later part of that, and we've been talking about who Jesus is and what he's about and what's important in in life and faith and all that, And, and we've been seeing who he is. And we've come to the place where he is entered into Jerusalem, and what we recognize in the church is we, we call Holy Week, that week prior to his, his being crucified and dying and then being raised again. And that whole week that he is going through all that, it, it's, it's kind of like almost final exam week for Jesus because people keep challenging him and questioning him. And I don't know if you remember your final exams when you were in high school or college, but uh, there's these intense times of studying. And, and, and I, I was reading this story about two students that were facing their final exams, and well, the class they were taking was or, organic biology, and uh, not, or, sorry, organic chemistry is what it was. Uh, not your easiest subject, but these guys had it. They were so confident. They had A's going in, and, and while the final was going to be a significant portion of their grade, they're like, we got this. And so the night before their finals, well, they're going out on the town and hanging out with friends, and then they stay up and they're playing video games till way early in the morning, and and uh, finally, they, they nod off to sleep and uh, wake up the next morning and realize that, um, well, their 8.30 exam is well over at 10.30 in, in the morning. And they've missed it, completely missed their final exam. And, and like, oh, no, this is a disaster. And so being inventive souls, they went to the professor to explain that, well, the night before, we'd been going to visit a sick out-of-town friend. And on the way home, we had a flat tire, and we didn't have a spare, and there was no jack, so we were stranded. And so we couldn't get a ride back here to town until mid-morning, which is why we missed the test. And we're really sorry we missed the test. We were so looking forward to taking it. Um, And they wondered if they might be able to take it later in the afternoon. So the professor thought about it for a little bit and decided, well, you know, they've not had a chance to talk over the the exam with the other students, so sure. And so after a short break for lunch, the two students were ready for the test, and the professor put them in separate rooms and gave them uh, them their tests. And so they, they started in on it, and the first question... A simple one. Five points. Uh, no problem. This is going to be great. And, and uh, the second one was worth 95 points. And it was just a simple question. It said, which tire? <laughs> Being in separate rooms and uh, not, I mean, they had a 25% chance or so of getting it all correct. But uh, they realized um, maybe their professor wasn't as dumb as they thought, and, uh, and they're coming to him with this story. Maybe uh, it was not going to work out well for them. Uh, being tricked or being, uh, uh, being found out, really, I mean, it was not a trick question if they were being truthful and being people of integrity, but they weren't. 
and they were in trouble. And they knew they were in trouble as soon as they turned off to 95% of their grade is based upon their integrity. So, tough thing for them. But, you know, as I think about that and, and think about Jesus and kind of his final exam week, he's, he's gotten all these different people trying to trip him up. And Jesus' answers have been spectacular. Uh, we, we started off this week by looking at, at Jesus entering into Jerusalem and then coming into the temple where he cleared it out and, and talked about it being a place where it was supposed to be a place of prayer, but it was it become a den of robbers and... and and, and we've been getting this subtle message that the temple, this, this place of, of worship of God, had become something that was no longer useful. That it was not something that could be reformed, but it was going to be replaced. Um, there's this, this strange picture or this story of, of Jesus and the fig tree that, that goes on each side of the clearing of the temple. And Jesus looking for some fruit from a fig tree and finding none, and curses it, which is like, Jesus, chill out, man. What's going on with that? And then the next day after the temple scene, the disciples come to the, the tree and see that this fully grown tree is now withered from the roots and, and, and a message about fruitfulness. If you're not being fruitful for what God designed you to be, you're going to be condemned, and we're getting this picture, and people were figuring that out. They're asking, by what authority do you do these things? And, and the, last week we looked at the Pharisees and Herodians trying to chip Jesus up about taxes. Uh, two weeks ago we talked about that. And last week uh, a group called the Sadducees, who were very conservative religiously, and they asked them, and almost in, in kind of a joking way, about this, this ridiculous uh, possibility of, a, of a, a man marrying a wife and then dying and then his, his, wife, his, hus- his brother having to marry her and so he could provide a child and just all this, this stuff. And who's, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? Uh, obviously, the resurrection is silly. And Jesus just ignores their contention and says, you know, your problem is, and again, these are religious leaders who, who love the word of God and serving God, and he says, aren't you an heir because you don't know the word of God and you don't know the power of God? And uh, just an indictment on, on them and, and their presuppositions about what they were thinking, but also a challenge for us to think about what are the things that I feel so confident about and, and, and I'm sure of, and yet I, I've nearly not taken time to work this through, to listen to what the word actually says about it. Well, all these discussions that have been taking place, these, these challenges that Jesus has, um, people are watching him and, 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 and trying to, to figure out what's going on. And, and one of the other leaders observed his interaction with the Sadducees and, and noticed, hey, that's, that's a pretty good answer. So it comes up with this question of his own. And this is in Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 28. And, and it says this, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Again, with the, with the Sadducees. Uh, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. 
Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no one other but him. To love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. And uh, kind of starting off there, Jesus gives us the focus of life. What's the most important thing? Obviously, this, this teacher of the law, he comes with a little bit different attitude, it seems like, than others had. There was no sense that he was trying to trick him. But, but again, noticing he'd give a, a good answer to the Sadducees just prior to this, he said, okay, teacher, what, what do you think is the most important thing? As I mentioned to the kids, there were 613 laws or commandments to try and filter your way through. And, and is there any way just to kind of narrow this down? And, and Jesus says, yeah. And, and he makes references to, to two particular passages in the Old Testament. One, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, a very important passage to those within the, the faith community. Uh, those in the know would call it the, the Shema, of the Hebrew word Shema, here is that same word. And, and hear Israel, the Lord is one. Uh, the Lord is your God. And, and, and to love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And this is the most important. Everything centers around that. And then, then quoting from Leviticus chapter 19, comes up with this second, to love your neighbor as yourself. And, and in doing so, encapsulates all the commandments. And, and if you take a look at, at these two commands and, and stack them up against, say, the Ten Commandments, which are listed in, in both uh, Exodus and in Deuteronomy, you can see where... By doing these two, you really satisfy all of the law. That in, in loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and the strength, you, you take care of, well, the first commandment, to love the Lord your God and have no other gods before him, to, to make no images or idols, to, uh, to keep the Sabbath and to not use the Lord's name in vain. If you're loving the Lord, he is your focus and priority, and you're not going to put other things in front of him. And if you're loving your neighbor... Well, then you will honor your father and mother because who is a closer neighbor to you than your father and mother? But you won't murder, presumably. Uh, You will not commit adultery. You will not steal. You will not bear false witness. And you will not covet or desire your neighbor's stuff. That that in, in focusing on these two particular commandments, everything else fits in place. And, and as he brings this answer, the, this teacher of the law is like, right on. That's, that, that's exactly right. And, and then he says this interesting thing. He says, in agreeing with Jesus, he says, you know, all those things of loving the Lord your God and, and loving your neighbor, these are, are more important than, than sacrifice and, and the offerings. And, and, and it brings us, okay, where... Where, where do we do sacrifices and offerings? And what's their role and place within this community? And at that time, within the, the community of faith in Israel, the temple was where that happened. And this teacher of the law is saying, yeah, this idea of loving God and others, that's more important than the things that the temple does. 
Jesus, again, has been intimating this uh, on, on a couple different occasions, talking about what's, what's most important. And, and, and the fact, again, by clearing the temple out and, and, and the imagery of the fig tree, their fruitfulness, the temple had, was no longer good. And a new way of righteousness needed to be provided for people to come to God because uh, the establishment had made it a place where, where they were serving their own needs over against other people. It needed to be pushed to the side. And as Jesus says to this teacher of the law, good answer, you're not far from the kingdom of heaven. People had a response to that. And that was, whoa. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. I think he, he passed his final exams, didn't he? The challenge after challenge after challenge he had, people were like, okay, whoa. <laughs> I mean, not only does he come up with answers that are really good, we look like idiots when we ask them because he just turns it around on us because it's like he knows what we're thinking, what we're trying to do. And, and so into that midst, without now being challenged, Jesus begins some challenges of his own. And, and as the passage moves on, he, he poses a question for those who are there listening to this about what they're assuming the Messiah, the chosen one, the one that they're looking for, is going to be like. And in verse 35, while Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked... How is it that the teachers of the law say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? It says the loud crowd listened to him with delight. Uh, Jesus Ask them some questions about what is sacred. And, and there was this, this understanding that the Messiah that the people were looking for, the, the anointed one, the savior of their people, was going to come from David's line, that he would come from this line. And, and, and Jesus' question is, okay, if, if he's a son of David, meaning a great, 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 great grandson, how can he call him my Lord? It says, the Lord says to my Lord, and... And if you look back at, at Psalm 110, where Jesus quotes this from, uh, the, the, word, the first word, Lord, in there, and the Lord says to my Lord, that first one is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And in the, in the Old Testament, when you, we look at that in our English Bibles, that's an indicator that the word that's really being used there is this Hebrew word, Yahweh, which is the name of God. Now, the, the Hebrews would not say this name because it's God's name. And, and, they, and to treat it with respect, they, they, they wouldn't say it. And so instead of saying Yahweh, they would say Adonai, which is translated as Lord. And so in our English Bibles, they've kept up that, that practice. And, and so, but to indicate to us what's there, they, they, when that word is translated as Lord, they capitalize the whole thing. And so in this passage in, in Psalm 110, it'll say, Lord, all with capitals, says to my Lord with one capital and then a small O-R-D. And so this other Lord, again, Adonai, so the Yahweh says to my Lord, 
And, and the question is, if this is David's son, how can he be the Lord? How can he be David's Lord? Meaning his master or the one whom he looks to. And, and, and Jesus' question is, is setting the scene for what he's going to be talking about later when Messiah is going to come to his fulfillment. Who is this Messiah? He is in David's line, and, and we see that it's listed out in the genealogies that we have in the Gospels, but, but he's more than that. And it's setting up for this discovery that, that this Jesus, this, this Messiah, is, is we're, we're putting our faith in the Christ who is more than we expect. He's going to be more than just a man who is the great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson of David the king. He's going to be more. And somehow this David, this great king of the past, calls him Lord and sets up for us up for realizing that he is more than just man, but he is also this, this one who has been from all time. God come to earth in man's form. And, and so Jesus setting up this, this riddle for them and, and talking with them. People are like, oh, yeah, he's, he's putting them in their place. And, and some people are delighted and amused by this. But he's making a point that Jesus is more than, that the Messiah is more than what you're thinking he is. And the task that he's going to accomplish is larger than you think. For many, Messiah for them was going to be the one who was just going to get rid of political government but this Messiah is going to do much more than that in bringing people's lives back to God, even over against those of Israel. But all mankind will be find a place as opposed to where the temple, which is limited only to the Jews, this is going to be for all mankind. Well, Jesus goes on here, and as he's talking, he speaks out a little bit, well, a little bit harshly. In verse 38, he says, As he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted in marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. Jesus' words take a little bit of a direct and pointed attack at those who have been part of the religious authority. Those who were supposed to be leading people towards God's. He was accusing them of really serving themselves. Of looking for glory and, and, and the best places and, and, and gaining from other people instead of finding ways to serve others. And, and gives them uh, just a strident, harsh attack on their hearts and their attitudes, directing them towards what is most important. It says, if you're in this position, if you've got these kind of responsibilities and your heart is anywhere other than serving the Lord, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbors, those whom you're supposed to be serving, you are off track. And God will not stand for that. Again, we will see as Jesus lives this out what this looks like. But there's one last little vignette, uh, kind of a point-counterpoint here that, that gives us a contrast. And the, the chapter ends with this, this final story in verse 41. 
After he said those things, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling to his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Hanging out with Jesus must have been a trip, hey? I mean, just watching him in all these interactions, talking with different leaders and answering their questions and, and really turning the screws on them. I mean, that's like, oh my God, did he just say that? And, and, and just very, it, it was never boring, was it? And, and after this strident attack, he sits down and, and there's a place within the temple areas where people can give their money. And, and he says, hey guys, come here, look at this. See that woman? And, uh, and probably a poor widow is not someone, someone that they would have noticed. She, she would have been out of the people that they looked for. They would have been probably looking for the guys with the fancy clothes or the rich guys, the famous guys. Like, oh, oh, that's that, that's that one lawyer or that's that guy who runs that big business and he's got all these camels. And... But Jesus says, check out that woman. Her? She, she's got tattered clothes. She's dirty. She's, she's poor. And Jesus says, look at her. Because she's given more than any of these people. Because she's given out of her poverty everything she's had. And yeah, these other people, they gave tons of money and, 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 and that's great. It keeps the temple running. You know, there's a little bit of a hidden undertone to this because he's been talking about this temple. He also mentions what the teachers of the law were doing to poor widows, taking their money. But he points at her and says, look in contrast. Here's this woman with devotion, with faith, doing exactly what those commandments talk about, those two commandments, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. She's putting it all in. And that's what God is looking for. He's looking for what's going on in your heart, what's going in inside, and, and you're dealing, and you're, and you're working with other people. How do you approach them? This is what matters and in calling attention to this in the temple courts and all the things that have happened there and, and in the, the discussions that's going to come after this in chapter 13, he says, this is what you need to see and notice. This is what being a follower of God is all about. Look at this woman. This woman who gives all she has. Because in the end, our faith is lived out in all that we have being lived for and given to God. Dan Taylor uh, wrote a book, compiled a book of letters to my children. It was letters he had written to his children. And, and um, 
One of the letters in there is uh, one to his son, Matthew. And he writes, Dear Matthew, when I was in sixth grade, I was an all-American boy. I was smart, athletic, witty, handsome, and incredibly nice. Things went downhill fast in junior high, but for this one year at least, I had everything. Unfortunately, I also had Miss Owens for an assistant teacher. She helped Mr. Jenkins, our regular teacher. She knew that even though I was smart and incredibly nice, there was still a thing or two I could work on. One of the things you were expected to do in grade school was learn to dance. You guys remember doing that? Whether it was square dancing or ballroom dancing or whatever. So my parents had, may have had some reservations at first, but since this was square dancing, it was okay. So every time we went to work on our dancing, we did this terrible thing. The boys would line up at the door of our classroom, then one at a time, each boy would pick a girl to be his partner. The girls all sat at their desks. As they were chosen, they left their desks and joined the snot-nosed kids who had honored them with their favor. Believe me, the boys did not like doing this. At least I didn't. But think about one of those girls. Think about waiting to get picked. Think about seeing who was going to get picked ahead of you. Thinking about worrying that you get picked by someone you couldn't stand. Think about worrying whether you're going to get picked at all. Think if you were Mary. Mary sat near the front of the classroom on the right side. She wasn't pretty. She wasn't real smart. She wasn't witty. She was nice. But that wasn't enough in those days. And Mary certainly wasn't athletic. In fact, she'd had polio or something when she was younger. One of her arms was drawn up, and she had a bad leg. And to finish it off, she was kind of fat. Well, here's where Miss Owens comes in. Miss Owens took me aside one day and said, Dan, next time we have square dancing, I want you to choose Mary. Well, she may have just told me to fly to Mars. It was an idea that was so new and inconceivable that I could barely hold it in my head. You mean, pick someone other than the best, the most pretty, the most popular when my turn came? That seemed like breaking a law of nature or something. And then Miss Owens did a really rotten thing. She told me it was what a Christian would do. And I knew immediately I was doomed. Because I knew she was right. It was exactly the kind of thing Jesus would have done. I was surprised, in fact, I hadn't seen it on a Sunday school flannel board yet. Jesus choosing the lame girl for the yeshiva dance. It's bound to be somewhere in the Bible. I agonized. Choosing Mary would go against all the coolness I had accumulated. The day came when we were to square dance again. If God really loved me, I thought, he will make me last. Then picking Mary will cause no stir. I will have done the right thing and won't have cost me anything. You can guess where I was instead. (laughs) For whatever reason, Mr. Jenkins made me first in line. There I was, my heart pounding. Now I knew knew how some of the girls must have felt. The faces of the girls were turned towards me, some smiling. I looked at Mary and saw that she was half turned to the back of the room, her face staring down at her desk. Mr. Jenkins says, okay, Dan, choose your partner. I remember feeling very far away. I heard my voice say, I choose Mary. Never has, been, never has reluctant virtue been so rewarded. 
I still see her face undimmed in my memory. She lifted her head and on her face reddened with pleasure and surprise and embarrassment all at the same time with the most genuine look of delight and even pride I have ever seen before or since. It was so pure I had to look away because I know I didn't deserve it. Mary came and took my arm as we had been instructed and she walked beside me Bad leg and all, just like a princess. Mary, obviously still my age now, but I never saw her after that year. I don't know what her life's been like or what she's been doing, but I'd like to think she has a fond memory of at least one day in sixth grade. I know I do. And as I reflect on on this story of choosing Mary, I mean, it, it encapsulates this very notion of of loving your neighbor as yourself. Now, obviously, he was put up to it by Miss Owens, and in the reluctant virtue that he went through this, discovered something powerful about caring for and reaching out to others, something that Miss Owens saw. One, saw in, in, in Dan and his capability of doing that, but also in the impact it would make. And in the end, that's what loving our neighbor looks like. It's looking at them and their situation and saying, what are they going through? And if I was going through that, how would I treat myself? What would I do for me? What would I want someone to do? And then find a way to do that for someone else. As Jesus has been talking about his kingdom all through this gospel of Mark, we see again and again that that the focus is not on just looking like you're doing right, but having a heart that's connected with God, of knowing him and loving him and understanding that he wants more than just you doing stuff, but your heart behind it of living this out in the love that he's shown you, a a love that he's going to demonstrate by caring for the whole world. Jesus foreshadows some of what he's going to do in this. As he talks about this widow who out of her poverty gives it all, uh, Jesus, who had all the riches in the universe, emptied himself in coming to this earth. And out of his own self-impoverishment, gave it all. And as disciples, as his disciples will reflect on these stories, and Mark brings this to a community that knows many of these things, there are these hints and cues as to what it's all about. That care and love and sacrifice That's what God wants from us, but it's nothing he's asking that he's not willing to do himself because he is, because he loves you that much that he gave it all. And in giving it all for you, he's saying, hey, follow me. Be my disciple and do this for others. 
as we close in prayer, and I'd ask you, I invite you to stand. I just invite you to reflect upon the people in your world and, and who it might be that God is saying, that person, that's your neighbor. Love them. Even as we love the Lord our God. Let's pray. Father, we do come before you this morning and, and again, so astonished by the wisdom and the, and, and the challenge you give to us about what living life is all about, about what's important in, in walking this world, that your desire is, is not just about us doing stuff that looks good in the church, but that our hearts truly are connected to you, are, are connecting with this love that you have for us and responding in relationship to you, not out of duty, but out of care and love. Lord, guide us through your spirit and open our eyes to those around us that we might be your people, your ambassadors, your presence among this world who needs someone to show that they're loved and they're cared for. Guide us this day through Christ our Lord. Amen. God bless you this day. Well, thanks again for listening. And to learn more about how you can connect with Bethel Community Church, check out our website at islandbethelchurch.com or join us for a service Saturday night at 6 or Sunday morning at 1045. Hope to see you soon. God bless you.